0: Good weekend so far. If you are a guest here, we just want you to feel right at home. And this is a very exciting place to be. God is moving in our midst and we're just rejoicing with all that he's done. As Stephen mentioned, uh, there's a connection card in front of you. If you're a guest, we got this uh, new thing we're doing that's kind of exciting. For every guest that fills one of these out, we're going to donate $5 on your behalf to ABCCM Ministries and ABCCM, for those of you who don't know, it helps the homeless and Those who have financial needs, every time a guest fills one of these out and you're on your behalf, we're going to donate towards that ministry. So that's kind of something new we're doing. Um, A few new things to to give you guys an idea. As as we mentioned last week, we are so happy and excited with all the kids coming to our church. It seems like every week our nurseries are overflowing and we're having to get more and more volunteers. So if you haven't signed up to volunteer, uh, Teresa Bear would love to talk to you. But starting Monday, we're doing a remodel construction project over our kids' ministry wing. So it's going to be done over a week process, and next Sunday, hopefully, it'll be finished by then, so you guys can see the before and after. And hopefully, this is going to send a message to our families that we love you and care about you, and we're a church for all generations. Amen? Speaking of families, this Wednesday, we're doing an interesting Wednesday night service, and I want to invite all of you to come out. And I'm going to be talking to some of our senior adults. What we're going to be doing is, uh, since the kids' area is going to be remodeled, all the kids will be with us in the fellowship hall. So there's a lot of energy and excitement. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a shorter service, about 45 minutes. And some of you said amen, right, to that. Um, And we're going to have some of our mature adults talk about if they could give advice to young parents, what advice would they give. So uh, that'll be interesting because you ever think if I had my time to do over, here's what I'd do differently, well, we're going to have that opportunity for us younger families to learn from some of you who have had a little more wisdom and life experience. Amen. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to jump into His Word. Father, we're just excited because God is good, and He's alive, and no matter what's happening in the world around us, we know that something great is to come. We're not living for this world, we're living for the world to come. And Father, my prayer as we look at Ephesians today, that we would see something that's powerful. We would see who we were before we came to Christ with clarity. And then we would see who we are now in Christ with even more clarity. So Father, we pray your blessing will be upon this time. We pray your blessing be upon your word. And we pray that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen have your Bibles are going to be in Ephesians 2. For those of you who haven't been here in a few weeks, we've been discussing the last, I guess, three weeks of the riches we have in Christ. And it's been very encouraging. Everyone's walked away with a smile. We've talked about how you're loved and adopted and accepted. And God's just got an amazing plan for you today. Paul starts off his letter very encouraging. And then we hit chapter two. And chapter two talks about who you were before you came to Christ. And for some of you, this may seem like a hard first few verses, but I want to encourage you to hang in there. Paul gets encouraging again. Sometimes the Bible, when you see things, you're like, ouch. But then you're like, thank you, Lord. Because here's something I want to present to you. The gospel is known as good, what? Good news. And here's something I've been thinking about recently, that until we realize how bad off we were, the good news doesn't seem that good. So, in other words, there has to be a balance of understanding what sin is and what sin does to us and our need for a Savior, because if we don't really need saving, is it really good news? And we live in a day today where even from churches, uh, you don't hear a lot about the gospel or need to repent and turn to Christ, but the good news is still good news. Amen? So, let's look in verse 1, and as I said, as we read these, the first part of the message is going to be, ouch, and then it's going to be, hallelujah. And by the way, Aaron over here is going to paint something. Some of you may not, be able will see it till after he's done, but he'll have it up front so you can see it. But he's going to paint the message, and it's going to be before Christ and after Christ. That's the only hint I'll give. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's not very encouraging to start, right? You were dead. All right, verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, talking about the devil. Verse 3. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath as others. In verse 4, here's where it switches but god someone say but god it was pretty bad bleak situation but god steps into the scenario it says but god who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and he raised us up together And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And the verses many of you are familiar with, By grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless his word. So the message I've entitled is To the Formerly Dead. So Paul is talking to Christians here. And sometimes as Christians, we have to be reminded where we came from. Isn't it easy to get in a Christian bubbles and we forget how bad off we were? Some of us have short-term memory loss when it concerns who we were. And some of that's good, But some of it we have to be reminded. So today I'm going to talk to the formerly dead. This is who we were before Christ. Number one, the formerly dead, you were dead and didn't even realize it. Look at verse one. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Many of you have heard of Howard Hughes. He was the multi-billionaire. And when he passed away, he left approximately $2.5 billion that's a pretty nice estate, right? And he had casinos. He had hotels. He had everything money could buy, a fleet of jets. Um, but when he passed away, they asked for one of his family members to come and identify the body. And one of his distant family members came and they said, is that Mr. Hughes? See, Howard Hughes had been addicted the last decade or so of his life to drugs, to everything the world's offered. And he went from being 6'4", shriveled up to one, And he was down to a 90-pound frame. And they said, according to the story, not many people mourn his death because he wasn't that beloved by many people. Because he had lived for himself. And he had died to himself. And the only significant moment of Howard Hughes that they said happened was all the casinos, I believe it was in Vegas... They had a one-minute moment of silence. And after that one-minute silence was up, one of the um, bosses of um, the casino said, all right, he's had his moment. Let's get back to gambling. What a sad way to end your life. You have it all, and yet, yet you lose it all. And that's what Paul was saying, that you may have been physically living, but spiritually we're all born dead. I know that's not politically correct. I know we don't like to talk about it, but it's the truth. Due to Genesis 3, the fall of humankind, um, God told Adam and Eve not to eat. He says, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So the truth of the matter is we're born spiritually dead and physically dying. That doesn't sound too promising, does it? Um, Five D's to describe your situation. We were dead. We were depraved. That's another word for sinful. We were directionless. We were disobedient. And we were heading towards doom. Does that sound like a bright future? I don't think so. Um, Verse 1, it says that you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. Trespasses means swerving or basically falling aside. Swerving aside or falling. And it's like you're driving down the highway of life, and how many of you have taken your eyes off the road and swerved off the road? That's the idea of a trespass. You just went out of bounds. And the word sin comes from the word archery, and it basically means to miss the mark. So God has a perfect plan for your life. It's laid out in His Word. And whenever you sin, it would be like an archer going for a target. And if you miss the target entirely, they would yell out sin. It means you've missed the target. So I've heard it said, when you look at this, you have two options. You can be born once and die twice, or you can be born twice and die once. You guys ever heard that? I'll say that again. You can be born once and die twice. Or you can be born twice and die once. In other words, we are born the first time when we make our debut on planet Earth. Whenever they says, congratulations, it's a boy, it's a girl. I've been through that four times. It's a great experience. That's born the first time. Now, born a second time is what Jesus refers to in John 3 as being born again. If you don't have that birth, then you die not just a physical death, but also a spiritual death. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to choose the born twice scenario than to die twice. Amen. And the good news is we're going to talk about the gospel is you don't have to die twice. I mean, Jesus has provided a better way. So you were dead and didn't even realize it. Number two, to the formerly dead, you were leading an existence without lasting purpose. Did you know that God created you on purpose and with a purpose? And. Verse 2, it's really sad, it says, "...in which you once walked according to the course of this world." The story is told of Alexander the Great. And the great philosopher, Diogenes, was looking at this mound of bones. And Alexander the Great asked Diogenes, "...what are you looking for so intently?" And he said, "...I'm trying to find the difference between the bones of your father and the bones of his slaves." They all look the same to me. In other words, death is a great level, leveler of humanity. And we've got to look at it. If you walk according to the course of this world, walk is an idea of this is your lifestyle. If you live like the world lives, there's really no hope in that. I mean, you're just basically living to make yourself happy. You're living just for the moment. And going back to verse 1, it says you are dead. Have you ever tried to make a dead person happy? It's very difficult to do. Right. You ever hear people say, I just want to be happy. Well, if you're spiritually dead, you can't really have lasting happiness because you're dead. That's not very politically correct, is it? But it's what Paul says. You were dead. Um, Have you ever noticed how much of TV is basically influencing this fallen world? I mean, you just turn the station's. And it's like a dead person's television for people who are dead, and there's just you zone out, and there's really not a lot of hope, right? But you know what? As believers, we have life, and I know this this sounds really hard what Paul's talking about, but there is hope. So we were le- leading a life without much existence. Number three, to the formerly dead, you thought you were free, but you were actually a secret slave of Satan. Look at the next verse, verse two. The last part of it It says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You know, so in other words, if you choose to live in the world, the world thinks they're free. But this scripture and other parallel passages says whoever sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. So here's what it looks like. We live in a world where people say, I just want to do what I want whenever I want with whomever I want. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? That's what the culture says. But, you know, we live in a world that's went after happiness. And here, here's some stats I found that was really troubling. For people say that I'm free to do whatever I feel like, here's what freedom ends up in. Fourteen million Americans are addicted or abusing alcohol right now. That's, that's a lot. Um, the National Institute of Drug Abuse reports that marijuana is the most commonly illicit drug used by over 14 million Americans. 14 million Americans age 12 or older. I mean, that's like, I mean, think about that. I'm free, but then I end up addicted. Two million Americans are addicted to cocaine. And 40 million in the U.S. are addicted to pornography. So, I mean, you look at that, and we live in a world that says, if it makes you happy, go for it. And the world promises freedom, but then they end up addicted. And that's why Jesus said, I've come so that you may know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. So the world promises freedom, and yet it delivers slavery. Jesus promises freedom, and he gives you free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen? Number four, to the formerly dead. You were running after cheap thrills and were rushing headlong into judgment. Verse three. It says, among whom, talking about the world, we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our, our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. In other words, what we wanted to do, our actions and our, our thought life, our mind. And we're by nature children of wrath just as the other. Many of you remember the former radio personality, Paul Harvey. And he said, now for the rest of the story. Well, Paul Harvey, he told about this um, special story, and some of you may be familiar with this story. It's about how Eskimos kill a wolf. You guys ever heard a story about that? Is It's really interesting how an Eskimo hunts for a wolf. It's not what you think it is. It's not going out, pursuing the wolf, and then having your meal brought to you after you've shot the wolf. How an Eskimo gets a wolf is he will take his blade, his sharp knife, and he will coat it in blood and freeze it. Then he'll put another coat of blood and freeze it again and keep doing it over and over until the blade is covered and you can't see the tip of the blade. And then he will stick the blade straight into the ground and the wolf, having that uh, carnivorous smell, will smell that out and then he will begin to lick the blade. And eventually, he enjoys the blood so much, his tongue grows numb and he doesn't realize the blood he's drinking is actually his own. And then he ends up lifeless in the morning. And I know that's a gruesome story, but it illustrates if we go after our wants and desires, we may not realize it, but these things are actually killing us. We may, not, we may not think about it, but sin actually kills. And that's why the gospel is so powerful, because Jesus promised us victory and freedom over sin. Amen? So, only God's grace can save us from this. So... When you look at it, um, our life before Christ, it really didn't look that great. Um, We were chasing after our own wants and desires, and we ended up, we were seeking happiness, and we ended up miserable. We were seeking contentment, and we ended up discontent. And for those of you who are like, is this sermon going anywhere? Well, look at the next verse, but God. And here's where all of you are like, I thought Timothy, was usually a positive preacher. Well, I preach whatever's in the Bible, so I go with the tone here. But the next verse, verse four, says, but God. So everything was dark. And I'm glad you guys, no one walked out of the church yet, because there is a but God. And here's the promise. If you're following and you're listening to guide number one, God ran after you even when you weren't looking for him. Isn't that a beautiful truth? But God. There's a lot of amazing buts in the Bible. God was getting ready to destroy the world, but Noah found grace in God's sight. Um, Joseph, he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. Whenever you're worried about death, the psalmist says their beauty shall be consumed in the grave, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. That's good news, isn't it? Whenever you're feeling weak or discouraged, it says my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's so many but gods in the Bible. And I'm so thankful. I, I was young when I received Christ. But no matter what age or stage, when you come to the realization that God loves me, that Jesus died on the cross for me and he has a plan for me, but God enters in. I was just a five year old child. I remember as though it were yesterday, I asked my dad. I said, Dad, if if I say the now lay me down to sleep prayer, will that get me to heaven? And my dad said, Son, it's great saying that prayer, but you have to ask Jesus into your life. You have to ask him to forgive your sins. And I, I don't remember a lot of big sins I'd committed at five, probably disobedience and talking back to my parents, probably the big two. But still, I, I realized I needed to do that. So at five, I knelt down, I believe it was in my parents' rooms, and asked Jesus, to come into my life and forgive me. And you know what? I've never been the same since, even as a five-year-old. And it's so beautiful, for those of us who are Christians, the but God, that God ran after you. He chased after you, even when you weren't seeking Him. Amen? Number two, and we're on the the very encouraging side now, so for those of you who are like, gripping the back of the pew, you can let go now. (laughs) Number two, God rescued you with His mercy. Because of his love. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, verse 4, because of, his, because of his great love, which he loved us. Now, you think about how beautiful that is. Now, what's the difference between mercy and grace? You ever think about that? Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. Grace is us getting what we don't deserve. And they are like, wait a second. Well, let me explain. My, my daughter, Kira, is in the first row. And um, we've had this happen before. And it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes you want to show love regardless. But sometimes when one of the kids gets in trouble, you know, we we have a little talk and we try to say, hey, let's change your heart and we try to give them a way of escape. But I remember one time where I believe it was Noel, one of of the children, was disobedient and it was like one of the kids was going to get dessert and the other wasn't. And I decided on this special occasion, don't do it all the time because I don't want to teach them, you know, bad behavior that you're going to get rewarded. But I decided to show the one that was disobedient um, a special grace. She didn't get corrected other than a little talk. And then I took her out to ice cream. So here, here's, here's the parallel. Grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. And grace is going out for ice cream. And that's, that's the thing. You know, when you read the Bible, what I love about the Bible, it's so balanced. And here's what I'm trying to strive ardent first, is I want us to be biblical in balance. You have so many churches that go on one extreme or the other, but Jesus was full of grace and truth. And you need grace and you need truth and you need them in balance. Amen? And Jesus was the embodiment of that. So, like, you read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 and you see a lot of truth and you're like, ouch. And then you read the rest of the passage and you see the grace. Both are true and both need to be equally held. Otherwise, you get a distortion of the gospel. So, he, he saved us. His grace extended to us. Number three, this is good news. God raised you from the dead and breathed new life into your spirit. Look at verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And the picture I got when I read this is, you remember the story of Lazarus, how Lazarus had died? And I believe he was in the tomb for something, what was it, four days, something like that. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, Jesus, you don't want to go in there. By now, he stinks and his body's decayed. And, and um, so Jesus all of a sudden yells out, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, Lazarus, wrapped in grave clothes, comes forth. And they have to obviously take the grave clothes off and he lives again. And that's a symbol of that spiritually, you and I were in graves clothes. We were born spiritually dead. And all of a sudden, when but God, when God steps in, He knocks on the door of your heart, He says, Timothy, come forth. Get rid of those grave clothes. Stephen, come forth. Louis, Teresa, come forth. Now you have a new life in Christ. Is that not good news? We don't have to live in grave clothes anymore. We were dead, but now we're spiritually alive. It's been said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And you can never be fully alive unless you're alive spiritually. So that's that's good news how God gives us new life. And you know when I look at it it's like God rewrites your script. We have some people who are movie buffs in here and you know every movie has a script. And as I mentioned the script before didn't sound too good and I don't even like saying it but it's just the truth we were totally dead. We were deeply depraved. We were dishonestly disobedient. We were directionally challenged. And we were living in doomsville. That sounds pretty sad, doesn't it? But look at the new script. Now we're alive. We're accepted by God. We're holy in Christ. Our destiny is determined. And we are living in Hopesville. We've gone from doomsville to Hopesville. Church, do you have a little hope today? Amen. To the formerly dead... You now have new life in Christ. Let hope be the air that you breathe. Let grace be the wind in your sails. And let love be the language in your new mouth. You now have a new walk and you now have a new talk. Number four. You went from being alone and down and out to being raised up together with Christ. Verse six says, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around that you were dead and you were dying, but now you have new life, and not only that, but you're raised up. You were down and out in the dumps, and now you're raised up in Christ. I was talking to the young adult class this morning, and I said, you know, this is kind of what illustration came to my mind. I've never really been able to go to many sporting games, especially professionally. How many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl, by the way? No, I do not have tickets for the Super Bowl, but... I love going to games, sporting games, NFL, NBA, and usually if I get to go, it's like in the nosebleed section. You're way in the back, and you can't see anything. You end up watching the jumbotron anyways, and you're like, I should have just stayed at home because my TV's better than this, right? So one time, my father-in-law surprised me. Instead of me going to nosebleed sections, we kept walking lower and lower and lower, and I'm like, John, where are we going? And to my surprise, he had bought, bought us VIP seats down front. We were right behind the scoring table. And I'm like, these guys are really big. I mean, back in the back, they seemed like I could take them, you know, your skin pastor. But now these guys are like seven feet tall and big muscles. And I'm like, I never saw that back there. But now I see these guys in a different perspective. And here's the picture. When you were dead spiritually, you didn't really have a lot of perspective on life. It was just trying to make it to Friday so you can live for the weekend, right? Spend that paycheck and make it to the next Friday. That was it. But now you're raised with Christ, and now your world has hope, and now your world has meaning. And now no matter what happens to you, it's what happens in you that matters. And as I mentioned last Sunday, you know, what's the worst case scenario? You get you die? Well, then when you die, you get promoted. So no matter what happens, you're pretty good. That's the gospel. So It says that you were raised up. And notice it says you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And here's the mystery. I think it's, I haven't counted all the times, but it's about 30 times or so that Paul uses in Christ in the book of Ephesians. So whenever you're in Christ, whatever happens to Christ, well, you're in him. So if Jesus Christ was raised up, guess what? Now you're raised up. If Jesus Christ is far above all principalities and powers and devil and all that, guess what? You are above that. So you don't have to walk around, head down, depressed, discouraged, woe is me. I'm just, I'm just trying to hold on to Jesus come. You can walk with a little bit of spiritual confidence. I like to call it confidence. Not confident in yourself, but confidence in God. Because you have hope. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was hopeless, but now I'm hopeful. I was without a purpose, but now I have purpose. I wasn't trying to make it to Friday. Now I'm living for eternity. My whole life is turned upside down. I'm a new person. I'm walking with gospel shoes. I'm walking with the helmet of salvation. I'm walking with the breastplate of righteousness. You know what? No matter what happens to me, God's got a plan for me and in me. Am I starting to preach now? <laughs> wow. Oh. Sorry, sometimes I get a little bad, bad costal up here. So... um <laughs> Watch out, right? Just playing for those uh, staunch Baptists in the room. We're just playing. So, it's good to have fun in church. Number five. And by the way, this is going to be to be continued last week because I don't have enough time to go in this. So next week, we're just focusing on verses 8 through 10. So I'm just giving you a little preview. God embraced you with His amazing grace, and He now gives you a second chance at life. Aren't you glad for another chance? Many of you remember in 2009, it was... not, not many years ago, it was on January 15th, 155 people were flying on U.S. Airways flight 1549. And all of a sudden, as they were flying, a flock of geese ran into this plane. And both of the engines got stuck with geese. And they, the engine shut down. And, you know, New York's very densely populated, so they didn't know where they're going to land, what they're going to do. So the the pilot said, brace yourself for landing. And he was able to navigate over the Hudson River and emergency land the plane. And to my knowledge, this is the first time that everybody survived a crash like this. Not a single person perished. All 155 people made it out alive. They call it the miracle on the Hudson. And one of the grateful passengers said simply, we have a second chance at life. You know what? There's not only the miracle of the Hudson, there's the miracle of the cross. And when you realize how bad you were off, now, here's the thing, like it wasn't like we needed behavior modification or a 10 steps class. All those are fine in their proper place, but we needed resurrection. We didn't need slight slight modification. We needed to be brought alive. And that's the power of the gospel. Like I, I, I don't want our culture to get away of, Just the simple gospel that you were dead and now you're alive. And you know what? Whenever we go away from that as Christians, we lose our power. I personally think we begin to lose God's favor if we go away from the gospel. That's that's where His favor flows when we realize we brought nothing to the table. We just brought an open heart willing to repent. We brought nothing and we came away with everything. Amen? Finally, number six. Your new life comes with a new destiny and purpose and friends please come back next week so we can unpackage this but just to scratch the surface it says we are god's workmanship the original greek it's poimia you are god's poem. Do you know what he's writing a poem with your story in it and whenever you accept christ the chapters just seem to get more amazing as they go and even if they're hard Even if you face persecution, that's going to happen in this world. But guess what? You're living for eternity. So, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how many health problems, it doesn't matter because you're living for something better. You're living for Jesus Christ. Amen? So, from an eternal perspective, it may be hard, but from God's perspective, it's one of the greatest stories ever written. Your life story. And it's in Christ. And it says that we were created for good works. So, here's, here's the paradox you're not saved by any works. But you're created for good works. The only work that saves you is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you had nothing to do as far as with that, other than our sins brought him to the cross. But the finished work of the cross, when you receive that, all of a sudden you go from death to life. You're not saved by works, but now that you are saved, you have an amazing plan that God has for you. Amazing destiny. And it says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, uh, Kira left the room, but uh, I got her coloring book down here, and I'm going to close with this simple illustration. You ever notice that, how many of you have either kids or grandkids, or you have little kids in your life, okay? Most people do. You know, most of you have little kids, nieces, nephews. You ever notice that when, say, a five-year-old, seven-year-old, however old they are, they, they paint a picture, a drawing, To other people it looks like scribble, but to you as the parent, the grandparent, it looks like a masterpiece. To others it looks like a mess, but to you it looks like a work of art. And here's the picture in Christ. Whenever you're adopted as a son or daughter, people may look at you or me and say, what a mess. They they don't have it going, they don't have it figured out. But when your Heavenly Father looks at it, He views you differently than those who are non-related looks at you. He says, "This is a work in progress. This is my own child that I've adopted." So that's the beautiful thing. So I'm glad you guys hung in. Mind. I told you to get a little more encouraging towards the end, right? So here's the take-home truth I want to get, give you guys: the truth to rethink. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once had no purpose, but now I have a destiny and a purpose. So here's your action step every week. We try to give action steps to help you to apply it. And this is something I'm going to challenge myself as well, is try to share your story with someone that's still among the the dead, still among the people that don't know Christ. And here's the challenge for the church. This would be really cool. Do you guys want to know how to double this church this year? Everybody win one person to Christ this year. Every, I mean, just think about it. It's part of the Great Commission. So if we each reach one person every year, the church doubles. Isn't that that a pretty simple strategy? Everyone reach one, and you teach them the Word, you disciple them. And you know what? As I look around, I'll see new people who were among the formerly dead, but now they're fully alive in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, uh, sometimes your Word can be challenging, and I can see how it would be easy to skip over verses that are hard to understand. I see how that could be easy. But Father, I thank You that the power of the gospel is here's where You were, but here's where You are in Christ. And right now, just everyone, no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, you mentioned the formerly dead. Well, the truth is, Timothy, I don't have life in Christ. I've never asked Jesus into my life. And today I need to accept Jesus. You talked about being born twice. I've only been born once. And today I need to have a spiritual birth. Friend, if that's you... It's really simple. Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And if you will invite Him into your life, if you will ask Him to forgive your sins, just as I did as a five-year-old, just as Lucas did at seven, you know what? God will step in. He will come in. It doesn't matter if you're seven or 70. It doesn't matter if you're nine or 90. Jesus knocks. Would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, I need to, receive, I need to pray to receive Christ. No one looking around. Just Slip up your hand. I want to pray for you, anyone at all. If that's you, just in your own words, say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I once was dead and now I want to be made new and alive again. So Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Breathe new life into my spirit. Help me to be a new person, a new creation in Christ. And for the rest of us, Father, who were formerly dead, help us not to live like that anymore. The good thing, Father, about the book of Ephesians, it tells us who we are. So now if we know who we are, it should change the way we live. So, Lord, help us to be done with low life living. Any habits that we have holding us, help us realize we've been set free. We've been set free, free indeed. So help no habit, no hang-up or addiction bind us. And if that is the case, help us to seek help in Christ to be free. So, Father, we thank You and we praise You. We thank You for a new life in Christ in Jesus name we pray amen if you would please